From Twin Cities Business, this is By All Means, a show about innovation, drive, and purpose, and the leaders who make business work in Minnesota. I'm Allison Kaplan, your host and editor-in-chief of Twin Cities Business Magazine. We're coming to you from the studios of our presenting sponsor, the University of St. Thomas's Opus College of Business, serving more than 3,000 students enrolled in its undergraduate and graduate business programs. The college develops effective, principled business leaders who think globally and act ethically. And now, by all means. If you've ever followed the health journey of a loved one struggling with an illness or recovering from an accident, really any time in the last couple of decades, chances are you've visited CaringBridge. Sana Maring started the website to help friends who asked her to let people know about the status of their premature baby. The same night that preemie Bridget was born, so was the idea for CaringBridge. That was 1997, way before Facebook. But what's interesting is that CaringBridge has continued to grow even with the rise of social media. Nearly one million CaringBridge websites have been created, and the Twin Cities-based nonprofit's reach now extends to 235 countries. Think about this. About every five minutes, a new CaringBridge page is created. Sana stepped away from CaringBridge in 2017, but she's always happy to talk about the process of building a website that impacts so many people at such a vulnerable, emotional time. Once a founder, always a founder. Sana, thanks for being here. It's a pleasure. Thank you. I, um, I've i been aware and been kind of, you know, amazed by the 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 reach and the ability to to bring people together uh, right. that Caring Bridge has. Um, I have a very good friend who's had a, a Caring Bridge page that's been really at the center of her twins' struggles for 16 years. Right, 16 <laughs> years of content. That's a lot. Um, but I really didn't know the story of how it all started. So, can you take us back and tell us kind of how this idea came to be? Well, I always like to start, too, by putting people in what it was like in 1997. So I always ask, think about technology and what you were doing in 1997. People usually chuckle. I have had a couple of people say, well, I wasn't born yet. (laughs) (laughs) That's frightening. Because that was 22 years ago. Yes. Uh, But it was before Facebook. It was even uh, before Google was around. Uh, But my background is technology, uh, computer science major. Didn't start that way, but uh, ended up as a computer science major. So, so all, that's what you were doing in the 90s? What I was. I was. I had a consulting business that was doing web page design. Okay. Because uh, everyone in the 90s needed a web page. Uh, mm-hmm. And that was, you know, uh, the internet kind of, the World Wide Web launched in 1993 uh, and with the first World Wide Web page that said, hello world. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so a short four years later, uh, that was what I was doing in my business, making sure everyone had web pages and had this personal need uh, that just pulled me where good friends had very premature baby and asked me to make phone calls. I made the two phone calls and thought there's got to be a better way. Just to let people know what was going on. Yes, because, and people had it was so funny when I made those two phone calls because people had the wrong information as well. So it was really important to not only let people know what was gone, but make sure they had the right information. Mm-hmm. And, and that is such a that's a that's something that everyone can relate to at a right. time when there's a crisis happening. You want to get the word out. You can't have that same conversation with every friend right. or relative. Yeah, I mean it's fatiguing. Yeah, uh, and they. 
they can't they couldn't afford to be fatigued by telling people what was going on. Sure. So it became not only a way to tell people what was going on, but the wow factor was having an ability to leave a message back to them, and they instantly felt that love and support, even though they and baby Bridget was isolated in the NICU, um, so that not only bringing people together for support and letting them know, but then letting them be involved and letting them get those messages to them. Okay, so back up just a second. So you have these friends who are having this crisis. They have this premature baby in the NICU. They ask you to help them to get the word out. Are you immediately thinking to yourself, I'm going to build a website? No, it took two phone calls that were each probably 20, 30 minutes long, had the wrong information. I was fatigued, and I wasn't even the couple that had the baby. Mm -hmm. And I thought, this is not going to work. Uh, There needs to be a better way. And that's right away then I thought, I need to create a website. How long did it take you to build the – you knew how to do that I knew how to do that. I I had that skill, so that was was easy. Uh Uh, The hard part was making sure to relay the information in – because there's lots of technical information. And so I became kind of that middleman. Okay. now that's eliminated with CaringBridge. Uh, the people can directly journal those story, let people know what's going on. People can easily help, and they can help in multiple ways. So, uh, but the the core of it is still the same. Where you need to be there for someone, and CaringBridge lets you be there no matter where you're at. So you build that first web page for your friends, for the parents yes. of Bridget, to let people know. Were you immediately thinking? This is a this is a business or a nonprofit. We could do this for other people. Or how long did it take to go from a website for Bridget to this is something everybody needs? Pretty quick, I would say during that experience. And Bridget's life was a short nine days, unfortunately. Uh, but what's neat about that is we actually really feel Caring Bridge is Bridget's legacy, mm-hmm. and we just celebrated Caring Bridge's birthday, which is on June seventh, which is the day Bridget was born, and it's always very powerful because that she would have been twenty two hmm. on June seventh, just a few days ago, and it uh, just continues to feed what we want to do. But it was very quick of seeing the power of bringing people together. And I actually thought, I'm sure someone else is doing this. So I immediately started looking. Nothing like this existed. And the functionality of it was you were able to write like a blog post so that the parents could say this is what's happening. This is what went on today. You could post a picture. But then visitors could also record comments saying we're thinking of you. We love you. Whatever. We called it a guest book back then. Um, And it it became the – you know, that yin and yang. It, we were able to post, we called it a journal. They were able to post a journal entry and receive messages back. So when you saw the power of this and thought, okay, I want to do this. First of all, did the name Caring Bridge come to mind right away? It's such a perfect name. I, I did have another name initially, but I knew it wasn't good. I'm not even going to tell you what oh, it I is. It was, what it, was. Was, it was that bad. <laughs> but uh, it was soon after after Bridget passed away, and we had the memorial service. And I said, and I wanted to really think about it as a legacy. And so I did the whiteboard. And I'm not a marketer. Uh, I'm a technologist, but uh, I knew it was it was all about care. And I wanted to honor Bridget, mm-hmm. so I had Bridget's name on the whiteboard as I'm thinking about these names, and it just it just came together as, as Caring Bridge. Caring Bridge. Um, so did you, what did you do then? Did you dive in right away and start wireframing I, this thing? I did. I dived in right away. And the other thing that was really, really helpful is Bridget was at Children's Hospital and Clinics in St. Paul. 
and they saw from a health care perspective what a difference it made in the NICU for this one baby, Bridget. Hmm. And so I talked to them immediately and said, can we have this, you know, can you recommend this for anyone with a baby in the NICU? And they were immediately on board. They actually made a room within um, the NICU area where people, where they had a computer and people could go and create a Caring Bridge site. Huh. So that, those two things helped right away where I was able to make the technology to be able to, where people could start creating it themselves. And then Children's St. Paul and Clinics also recognized it and would recommend it. Were you thinking that this was just something that you were doing to, to put some good out in the world? Were you thinking you're going to leave your day job? What, what well, was the mindset? So my business was doing quite well, making web pages for, you know, Joe the Plumber and uh-huh. <laughs> University of St. Thomas. Uh-huh. Uh, and so I... I really just thought this was going to be subsidized by my business, uh, but I— This was going to be your give back. This was going to give back, and I just knew it was so important. Um, I found myself starting to spend all my time on it and just I became obsessed with it uh, and kept was just pulled and pulled towards it. And like most startups, um, there was a lot of sweat equity in the beginning, um, but then I also had to start thinking about— one, I know this is really important, but I, I knew it had to have a financial model that supported it. Mm-hmm. So I had to really think about it. I, you know, a subsidy model worked for a while, but that's like bootstrapping your own non, you know, your own startup that only survives so long. Um, and so I call it the frying pan over the head technique, where <laughs> I got a check in the mail, and it was a hundred dollar check from a woman in California. I don't even know how she found the address where to send it to. But uh, back in the late 90s, you had all your information on your checks, too. Mm -hmm. So she had her phone number on. This is a paper check. Some people don't even know what those are. Was this made out to (laughs) you or to Cambridge? It was made out to me. Okay. Uh, And so anyway, I called her and she said to me, and this was a very powerful moment because it was also the idea that charitable giving was important heart of Cambridge. She said... I said, you know, we're not a nonprofit. Thank you for the $100. She said, you need to understand, I would have never known my granddaughter without Caring Bridge. And Caring Bridge needs to be there for every grandmother. Oh. And it was just one of those heart moments. And uh, I probably should have framed it and put it on the wall, but I did cash it. <laughs> <laughs> and that was the beginning of your thinking that, hey, that we was, need to actually turn Caring Bridge into an official nonprofit. Correct. That was the genesis of that idea of this should be driven through philanthropy, through charitable giving. And it also is a great model because if people aren't finding that type of value and that type of impact, they're not going to be supporting it through their charitable giving. And so it became almost a, um, you know, flywheel of understanding that we are providing values because they're providing the funding. How long had Caring Bridge existed? How many pages were there when you made it official? And, uh, into a nonprofit? So yeah. didn't get all of the nonprofit lined up until just after 2000. Um, and that was part of it because we had to survive Y2K. All <laughs> oh, right. Remember that? <laughs> so I was doing a lot with Y2K as well. And so, but right after that, um, formally made it into a nonprofit, a 501c3. So like three years. It's about in. three years. Yes. And and about how many pages were there? I mean, how quickly uh, did people start using it? There were probably about two or 3,000. 
Okay. Mostly yeah. in Minnesota? Yes. It was very homegrown, if you will. It was because, and it was very, Karen Bridge is always growing very grassroots. Mm -hmm. um, friends telling friends, families telling families. It wasn't until um, probably about five or ten years into it that we really started reaching out very proactively to healthcare systems, similar to children's hospital and clinics, where we started. They were recommending it to their patients. So now we work with hospital and clinics ac across the world, really, to recommend it to their families and their patients. At what point did you set your day job aside, or did you, to, to really focus on Caring Bridge full-time? When it became a nonprofit, uh, that was the, uh, someone said to me, jump and a net shall appear. And so I jumped and Annette appeared. Uh, and But that was a that was a big decision. And, and I knew with 3,000 sites, it was reaching this critical junction of something had to happen. And it was just you running it? It was pretty much point? just me. I, I did have uh, other people that helped with on a volunteer basis. Yeah. Uh, I, was, I got very good at getting volunteers uh, because they had all been affected. It was their way of giving back. Sure. Was, did you ever envision yourself running a nonprofit? Never. I would say I had never envisioned that. Uh, so it was... It's been it was interesting jumping into the nonprofit sector. Uh, it absolutely was the right model, and I think that's actually helped Caringbridge succeed uh, in this in this ocean of social media mm -hmm. uh, because it is really the pro the revenue stream is not from selling data. It's not from manipulating data. It's not from having ads. So it's more of a protected area that we're able to have. Interesting. So um, you, you're a nonprofit. Does the money start rolling in? Are there more $100 checks? Do you go out and get grants? Like how do you really get enough money to support yourself and start building a team? Yeah, we – it grew slowly. Uh, we got better <laughs> – I used to at the board meetings, you know, once you once you create a 501c3 and you have a nonprofit, you are no longer the owner. Mm -hmm. So you have a governing board that really is ensuring that the stewardship of the charitable dollars are being invested wisely and are being have an impact. So I remember at a board meeting, uh, I would report, I'd go, I literally would say this, I'd just shake my head. It's, I'd say, and without even trying, we had, you know, $2,000 in donations. And then one of the wise board members said, well, maybe we should try. <laughs> <laughs> so that's when I learned the first rule of fundraising. And do you know the first rule of fundraising? I don't. You have to ask. Oh, good rule. <laughs> so uh, we, we started very, um, you know, you, and, you know, we wanted to be honored why people are using Caringbird sites. So it wasn't like you could fly a banner ad or be too invasive, but there is a, a way to be able to ask and for support for CaringBridge for what mm -hmm. the family is using and for other families in the future. I'm always fascinated by entrepreneurs who hit this juncture, whether it's a for-profit and you're looking for VC money or a non-profit and you're looking for donations. You have this great idea, you get some traction, and then it's like you're spending all your time trying to raise money. How did you feel about that? And how did you divide your time between the technology and the mission and the inevitability of having to raise money? Interesting enough, the first person I hired was someone to take over the technology end of it, oh. which is what got me into it because mm -hmm. I was able to do that. But I knew there was so much more to make the business successful in the other areas. And so I found a person I had trusted 
knew that they could do it better than I could, frankly, but I could understand enough of it mm-hmm. <laughs> if they weren't. Uh, so that was the first person I hired was a technology person that took that over. And then I stepped into more of the uh, proactive reaching out to make sure CaringBridge was uh, aware. So there's always been two things. It's the awareness of CaringBridge so that anyone in a that's going through a health journey knows about it and can go to caringbridge.org and immediately create a site. Mm-hmm. And then two, that there are the funds there and we have the financial stability to make sure that this is there today and tomorrow. Mm-hmm. And those those are two important things that are we work on every day. Were there early surprises uh, for you, like among users, how people were using it, what it was being used for? Were there are there any moments that stand out? There was a couple. Um, well, even that first hundred dollar check. Uh, it is those stories that continue to fuel me for twenty two years and continues to fuel the staff at Caring Bridge. It's those personal stories, and. Probably a couple of things. One was I had a a CaringBridge T-shirt on, uh, and there weren't many of those around, but I was in an airport, and a woman, like, chased me down and said, oh, my gosh, CaringBridge. How do you know CaringBridge? And she told me her story. Uh, So when when I tell people I'm the founder of CaringBridge, I get to hear their story. Mm -hmm. And those stories are so diverse and so powerful and and different, and and people find a healing power in Caring Bridge, um, in many different avenues. You asked do, uh, different uses of Caring Bridge. You know, Caring Bridge is even used. For example, um, someone I know was in a car accident, and their seventeen-year-old son died, and they created a Caring Bridge site even after death hmm. because that they needed to have the support of their friends and family. Hmm. They needed to let people know what was going on. And they needed to have their people, if you will, come together and support them. Hmm. And so it, it helped them heal through that process. Yeah. Um, a lot of the stories, I mean, there are some inspiring, amazing stories, and there are a lot of really sad stories and sad endings. Did that weigh on you? Did you find yourself reading every website that was posted in those early years? I did. And in fact, uh, my husband at the time had a little intervention. <laughs> Really? <laughs> I was, uh, especially, I remember the first 50 sites. So it did start growing very quickly, and most of them were NICU babies because that's where it started. Mm-hmm. And I was emotionally connected to every one of those Caring Bridge sites. And I, after that intervention, uh, it was like at 3 in the morning, uh, I realized I did need to, I, I couldn't be a contributing visitor to every single Caring Bridge site. Uh-huh. And so uh, it was kind of that wake-up call of making sure that the overall product and service was always there and in a, a perfect way for families, mm-hmm. uh, but not to get the notifications for every single site. Right, yeah. right. Because you got to have a little <laughs> bit of separation. So along comes Facebook. Mm-hmm. By the time Facebook launched, you were pretty well established. That's, like, what, like six years right. after? right. Did you, when you first found out about Facebook, did you think, oh, this is the end of CaringBridge? People are going to shift over here, or did you not see it that way? What What were your thoughts about social media? You know, that's a great question. So when Facebook first started, of course, it was just college campuses, mm-hmm. and then uh, they went to high schools. And I have three sons, and I remember when they could go to high schools, and I I can't remember. I think my oldest son was just going into high school, so. I had them create a Facebook page. Because <laughs> <laughs> you want, because as research. 
for as you. research, yeah. correct. Uh, probably one of the only parents that encouraged that. I don't know. <laughs> uh, and yes, I would say uh, when Facebook was when Facebook became then open to everybody. Um, you know, you do the good old strength, weaknesses, opportunities, and threats as you do a SWAT. They were definitely in the threats area of is this, can we compete with this? Mm-hmm. Will people see us as different enough? Um, and uh, I actually think now CaringBridge is more important than ever as Facebook has continued to evolve and become kind of this big. Uh, way of sharing information and disinformation and algorithms and manipulation and just what social media is now. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually did not see the negativity that is happening right now in social media coming. Uh, and so I would say about five years ago, I thought this ability to connect anytime, anywhere was one of the most important things that will continue to bring our society together. And I've come 180 on that. I feel it is not doing that. And I think one of the reasons, as I know that, because Karen Bridge continues to do that. Karen Bridge continues to be a place of support and love and bringing people together. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that's what Karen Bridge is for. And uh, most Karen Bridge sites are really your, it might not be just your immediate family, but it's certainly people that want to be able to surround you and support your community. you. Your community. Your community. Um, even when it is broader, a much public site and people that you might not know are in on your story and supporting you, they're still, in a way, they're still your community because it's knowing when you go to Karen Bridge, you're there for support, for healing, for connecting. And kind of having that basic understanding as you're using this social media platform, um, I think is the world of difference between what Caring Bridges and what other social media and social networking sites are. Mm-hmm. So, but that's a more recent, I yes. mean, I, I feel like kind of, I mean, in, in the early days of all of it, when the technology was evolving and when we were all, you yep. know, finding our way to these platforms, what do you think sustained Caring Bridge then? Just it's it's laser focus? It's and laser purpose? focus. And we always had the underlying foundation of we are not, driven by our revenue is not driven by selling ads, selling data, manipulating data. So our true customers are the families that are using CaringBridge, where in other social platforms, the true customer are the people that are buying the ads. Sure. It's not, you know, you and I as Facebook users, we're the product. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so people realize that on some level, for sure. Um, and the other thing that CaringBridge did, you know, when it was really kind of at that point of where you're right you know it was more recent um three or four years ago when the the negativity really started yeah. creeping in but where we all started realizing we were being used yes <laughs> Our right, privacy right. was threatened right and all of that. Uh, but caring bridge was always the place to be able to talk about this tough topic mm-hmm. facebook was more look at what i'm having for dinner yeah uh it would have felt it's, strange it's more of the selfie kind of yeah News yep. versus, you know, this is serious news. Right. This and, is about cancer or an yes. accident or a health and, struggle. And people liked being able to uh, isolate that conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I think that is why it continued to survive. Is, and it, was, and it gave them permission to mm-hmm. talk about that. It was expected to talk about that. 
was the growth just kind of like steady or was there a moment where like the whole world became aware of Caring Bridge and it exploded? Like how did you build the infrastructure and how much money did it take to keep this thing going? Well, it I mean it was so funny because you'd have some people say, "Oh, it's just a website," and they, you know, poo-poo it. Mm-hmm. I think Caring Bridge actually needs to have more stability and reliability and security than even some banks because it's twenty-four-seven, because it is around the world. So to answer your question of how did Caring Bridge grow, it grow and it continues to grow more grassroots. We do do some proactive marketing and outreach. But um, it's growing extremely steady. And when I say steady, it still is a very steep line. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but it, 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 there wasn't any big jumps, and, but it's just continued to grow steady and steady. And it still, I think, counts on a personal recommendation mm-hmm. at the end of the day, be it from a healthcare professional, be it from a sister that used it for a friend at church, be it from a cousin who, you know, had a coworker. So it continues to be that personal recommendation, but it continues to grow and become aware. And we are used globally. Uh, that was kind of some cool moments when you would see other languages on Caring Bridge um, and just being used for around the world. Yeah. Yeah. How how big is the, the staff? I believe the staff is at 49. Okay. Uh, and it's always hovered right around 50. And is that is it mostly technology experts that are like maintaining the the site or growing it or, or what 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 is the day to day of running Caring Bridge? I realize you're not doing that anymore, but you were yeah. until really uh, recently. Yeah, I would say uh, I don't know exact background, but probably about 70 percent are the technology people that are not only ensuring that it's available 24 seven and that you know that's a whole team just mm-hmm. on itself, um, being able to have multiple servers around the world, you know, in the cloud. Right. You have to support all. I mean, because there are people like I mentioned, my friend who has 16 years of posts. That's all that's all still there. Yes. You guys have to maintain all of that. And carrying bridge sites never go away unless you specifically deactivate them yourself. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so and and I will say carrying bridge sites become even after someone has passed away. Um, it becomes a gathering point on anniversaries, either on a birthday or hmm. the death. And, and in fact, um, my mother passed away in 2001. Of course, she had a Caring Bridge site. Mm. Uh, and uh, we go back on April 12th on the day of her death. And it's it's really, it's almost like a little family union. We all leave a message and we kind of build off of that. Huh. So it becomes an annual reunion, um, honoring memory. And uh, so we've been doing that now for seven, 18 years yeah. uh, at the anniversary of her death. That's amazing. Yeah. So you decided in 2017 to, yes. to step away yes. from the day to day. Yes. Why? It had been 20 years and uh, there's some symmetry there. Uh, and I'm always very conscious of, as an entrepreneur with a startup, there is a point when the founder needs to step away. Um, in fact, there's books written about the founder syndrome mm-hmm. of you're actually going to be holding, you know, the company or the organization back. So I really, the, the two or three years before that, I was really reflecting on 
what's next for, for Caring Bridge. It was a, it's a very different organization than it was in the late 90s when it was starting off. It's it's a mature, stable organization that needs to continue to grow in a different way. So that was something uh, that I just had this little twinge about a t- couple years before the 20th anniversary. So was it what was it really more about thinking about the organization or were you starting to get a little itch? It was like... certainly a combination. Okay. I was getting a little itch and realizing and which I think also once you have that little itch or you know your eyes wander you're not serving the organization the way you could be. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, it was kind of that combination. And I always I, I always had said, you know, I'll just know when it's time. <laughs> time. Mm -hmm. But I was always very much conscious of this idea of a founder syndrome, Uh, checked in a lot with um, the overall board, again, who's the governance board, and that's their job, Mm -hmm. is to ensure the financial stability and the future of that organization. Um, And so what was great is we were able to do a really good transition. And I think it is really important for any founder to be honest about that and then don't be afraid to say that and set the things in motion for a great succession plan. Uh, I do think a lot of companies uh, that transition from a founder, that succession planning is done poorly and, you know, you lose traction and ground within that transition. And I actually think we accelerated during that transition. How much time did you spend on the transition? It was a three-year kind of planned out succession planning. Wow. And, I and did w- you have your successor in place for much of that time? Uh, about a year and a half. Okay. Yeah. Um, did you ever, in the middle of that planning, that's a long time to be planning, Was did you ever have a moment where you're like, well, maybe I won't leave or I can't leave? I, I'm sure I or did. it can't go I, on I, without me. I, I, I'm sure I did. You kind of have these, you know, caring bridge is definitely a part of me. Mm-hmm. Um, so... I, I don't remember anything specific. Like, I don't remember saying, oh, my gosh, what did I do? Mm-hmm. Never mind. Uh, I don't remember having that. But uh, I'm sure there's been, there was a few moments of, of do I really want to do this? Mm-hmm. Uh, but it was, it was the right time. And uh, I feel great about it now. It's been two years. And um, I'm able to stay connected, um, able to do things as the founder. And Are you on the board? Or I'm you... not on the board. And that was a conscious decision, too. Uh, I did want to really empower the new CEO, CEO uh, Luana Ojula, to have it be the organization that she is running. Um, and I, that was actually a very conscious decision. Okay. Um, is it hard to be separated from something it's you not. created? It's not. Uh, I can still stand in the airport line with my Karen Bridge shirt on and <laughs> have someone chase me down. Yeah. Uh, so, no, it's it's not. Uh, no, I, I've never regretted this decision. It was, it was the right decision. Do you have hopes and dreams for it or see or just as technology has evolved, do you feel like there are new, new things that Caring Bridge can do? Well, I think... You know, one of the ahas throughout the last 22 years, um, and you kind of, uh, when we were talking before, you asked me about this, you know, what did I want, what do I know now that I maybe thought, would thought about in the future, or when I started, excuse me. And one thing I realized. What do you know now that you wish you thank knew you. when you started? Thank There's you. The See, question. that's why you're, that's why you run the <laughs> podcast. Um, it was I really thought about Caring Bridge in the beginning as just a service. And I, I thought it was kind of interesting because, you know, lately you hear Mark Zuckerberg saying that about Facebook is like, well, no, we're just a service 
you know, we don't know why all this is happening. But what I realize is it's not just a service. It's a amazing way of people connecting. And Caring Bridge is actually something that helps people heal. So understanding the power of that healing effect and the impact that Caring Bridge can have on any health crisis, any health journey, um, and healing comes in many different forms. I would have leaned into that much sooner because I think anyone going through a health journey needs to have Caring Bridge. Mm-hmm. And so my hope and dream is it becomes something that is so part of anytime you need to be so surrounded by your loved ones, you're able to have a Caring Bridge site to be able to do that. There still is a little bit of a barrier where people, even even people that have known Caring Bridge for 22 years, are like, oh, I don't want to create a Caring Bridge site. But it helps them heal. It helps everything about the situation. It helps the people that want to support you because they are going to be in a, a place of knowing what's going on. And sometimes you don't have to say, I need dinner tonight. They'll write a journal post and people will know. Mm-hmm. Um, so that aspect of healing is something that I want to see continue to evolve and have people understand, and especially as they're going through a health journey. You wrote a book about your Caring Bridge right. experience. Right. Um, why did you decide to do that? Hope Conquers All is the book. Um, it was these stories. It was they're so powerful, and they each tell a different story of healing and a different story of hope. And it was trying to capture that essence of these are powerful stories that show the power of bringing people together to support each other. Mm-hmm. The good that technology can the do. The good that technology does, yes. So what are you doing now when you're not being asked to talk about Caring Bridge? Oh, darn. <laughs> I don't always talk about Caring Bridge. So one thing we did within Caring Bridge is we used um, EOS, which is an entrepreneurial operating system. We, we started using it in Caring Bridge about halfway through, and it became very powerful for us to be able to use EOS. And in fact, it helped significantly in the transition and the succession planning. So as I left Caring Bridge, I thought that was something I wanted to do too. So I'm doing EOS implementation. Um, I like to do it with nonprofits because I think a lot of nonprofits really need to execute and have more traction mm-hmm. on what they're doing. Um, and I'm also serving on multiple care, uh, nonprofit boards. Um, and that is really rewarding as well. As somebody who came from the technology world, had this bug to be an entrepreneur, and then ended up in this nonprofit world where you never expected to be, what what would you say about that? What would you say to other founders or entrepreneurs about the opportunities and the benefits of being in nonprofits? Yeah, I, I don't think people think of it right away. Uh, it, it was absolutely the right decision. And I'm, I look back and I, I think how important it was for that decision. I actually don't think Caring Bridge would be here if I hadn't made that decision to have it be a nonprofit. You know, there's some really neat models you can do for business models. There's certainly the nonprofit model. There's also B Corps where you, you, you know, give back your profit for something. So I think as people are really entering into it, looking at those models is really important. And you have to have the underlying model that it is going to be sustainable. Mm-hmm. Regardless, um, if it's not something you think you can inspire people to have for charitable giving, maybe nonprofit isn't the place, you know, if it's it's something else. So one thing I did as a nonprofit, and many people said this, is I really did approach it as 
it was from the heart. So it had a lot in the mission and and why we were doing it was really important. But I also knew um, it had to work. So I've had people say, oh, you have a nonprofit heart with a for-profit mind. So we immediately, you know, setting goals, making sure we ran the business as a business, even though it was a nonprofit business, Mm -hmm. was really important, including the idea that employees should be shouldn't expect to be paid less. Mm, good point. It's not, you know, that's not part of the nonprofit. And 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 sometimes people say, "Oh, I can't work for a nonprofit. I don't I won't make enough money." And some profits nonprofits are certainly like that. But the idea that a nonprofit should really be able to execute at a high level. Right. It doesn't undermine the the purpose or the good you're correct. doing. Correct. It, yeah. it should um, accelerate it. And, yeah. Yeah. Um, you mentioned earlier that you had to learn to actually ask for yes. what you needed. Yes. Do you feel that you were successful at that? You obviously were successful at that. What's What's the trick? You gotta ask. <laughs> and I would I would say anyone out there, if you'd like to go to caringbridge.org and click on donate, that would be well, awesome. Oh, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> um, I did also hire fundraising professionals. Um, mm-hmm. and uh, but that you know, even no matter what business you're in, be it asking for donation, asking for charitable dollars, be it selling an item, um, you know, you do have to uh market it and it is kind of the idea of understanding the value that you're bringing to people right well you certainly have brought a lot of value to a lot of people so thank you for that thank, thank you. you for sharing your story today Sana Maring so lovely to, to meet you and have you here on By All Means well thanks so much and now we're going back to the classroom with the University of St. Thomas Opus College of Business So what made the Caring Bridge Network catch on and continue to thrive even after the advent of Facebook? For some perspective, let's go back to the classroom with the University of St. Thomas Opus College of Business. Gino Giovanelli is a professor in the marketing department here at Opus. Thank you for being here today, Gino. You're welcome. So what what do you what do you think? It's kind of amazing that Caring Bridge not only grew and found, you know, its network, but has really continued to thrive even with the proliferation of social media. What sure. do you make of it? Well, I, I think I think Sana did it right. I think she found a an offering, a product that had a, a specific need, and she stayed laser beam, as the words that she mm-hmm. used, uh, focused on that product and didn't try to be all things to all people, right? which I think is some of the things that Facebook tries to be. Uh, Facebook, you can have uh, personal pages, you can have business pages, you can have private pages, you can do events. Sure. Uh, I think that what she did is she said, I've got a product that people need, and I'm going to be all about that product and go deep into that product. The question I found myself thinking is, could that work with any product and any focus, or is it the the special hearing, caring nature of CaringBridge? I think it works with any product that has a critical mass uh, of of need, if you will. Like like I said, she had this this product is for anybody who has a loved one on a health journey. Mm-hmm. As long as that has enough interest in the market, she doesn't need to spread herself. Thin. I think what happens with companies where they have a product that sort of meets this need, then they feel like, well, let's let's do also let's do these other three things to sort of get enough critical mass 
uh, and, and, and together it becomes a valuable offering. Right. Uh, I think if you have the right product that, that solves a need in the market that you can capitalize, I don't think you need to go broad. So the takeaway is mm-hmm. focus. If, if there's a critical mass of need in the product that you're offering. Right. Speaking of that need, I know you have yeah. uh, personal experience with Caring Bridge. I do. You do you want to <laughs> Yeah, talk I mean, about it, that? It's, it's timely. Uh, I, I lost my best friend a couple months ago. Um, Sorry. Yeah, it was hard. Um, what did Caring Bridge provide for you and your friends right. in that journey? Well, it's interesting because it's, it's, you would think, you know, being a best friend, I know everything that's going on. Yeah. Um, but what it did was it provided a, a way for him over 13 months to, to share what was going on in his life. Um, broadly to everybody, but to any anybody in that group. Mm-hmm. And for me, it, it was through the 13 months, it was a way for me to understand what was going on in his head. Some words that he mm-hmm. couldn't articulate. Um, I mean, we worked together. We were in a band together. We, we were best of friends. But there were still things that, that didn't come out in those conversations. And him having all that time to write, and he's an amazing writer, and he journaled basically the last 13 months hmm. of his life. And and when you're, the, the cool thing about Caring Bridge is, is I remember going through that and reading it, almost like a reality show in the, in the season. But what I did in the last two weeks preparing for his memorial on Sunday is I sort of binged read the yeah. Caring Bridge site. Wow. In about four days, I went through the whole season. Mm-hmm. And what that allowed me to do is to read it differently and listen to every word that he wrote. In the, when I went through it in the in the 13 months, I was kind of skimming and scanning for the good news, bad news kind of sure, points. This sure. was like sitting back and just absorbing it. Plus, you know how the story ends, mm-hmm. right? And you've seen the story. So it's almost like seeing it the second time. Um, and it basically provided me a way to to relive all that. Yeah. Well, that's, I mean, that was one of my biggest uh, surprises in hearing Sona mm-hmm. tell the story is mm-hmm. just how those pages live on and they how do. much value and meaning it brings to loved ones after totally. a, a death. Totally. And this is one of the things I was thinking about uh, for Sona is to, um, is to actually provide an offer, an opportunity to have that journal bounded and printed. Mm-hmm. I basically printed it out. It was 120 pages. Wow. I put it in a binder, yeah. and I read through every single thing to get ready for the eulogy on Sunday. Mm-hmm. What a cool thing might be for her is to think about how do you capture that digital product that is so important that it's digital because everybody needs to get it anytime, anywhere. So yeah. I love that aspect, that it's digital and that the reach is, is, is ubiquitous, right? right, when it's happening. But afterwards, it might be a nice thing to be able to, to have and to hold Right. And that's what basically I did. I had this this black binder with me uh, for the last two weeks. Mm -hmm. And I never left home without it. And anytime I had a few minutes, I would just sit there and, and curl up and read it like like old school, yeah. like a book. Wow. And, and Look that, at that. Back to business. Who knows, You've right? just come up with a new well, product and it, idea. And it doesn't, it, doesn't, it doesn't dilute the product. It yeah. makes the product better. It's not this, oh, what about this whiz-bang and what about that whiz-bang? It's the whiz-bang. Right. It's not capitalizing nope, on it nope. in, a, in a bad mm-hmm. way. No, it's, it's, you know, it's yeah. giving people something they need. Well, thank you for sharing your personal oh, story. Yeah. And I think it, it just speaks to the, the power of, of what Caring Bridge and that, what that network has created for yeah. people. So thank you for being here, Gino. And thank you to our sponsor, the University of St. Thomas Opus College of Business. If you haven't 
haven't already, please subscribe to By All Means wherever you listen to podcasts. If you like what you've heard, give us a rating and review. We'd really appreciate it. I'm Allison Kaplan, and on behalf of Twin Cities Business, thanks for listening to By All Means. Teamwork to make by all means, and we've got some all stars. Thanks to our audio engineer, Tom Ferlitti. Digital support is Ricky Hannigan and Dan Nepo. Thanks to the University of St. Thomas Senior Media Relations Manager, Vanita Sakar, and Associate Dean of the Schultz School of Entrepreneurship, Laura Dunham, for all their help. Our theme music is by Songfinch. Hope you enjoyed by all means. Bye.